Chapter Twenty of Scenes from Sketches by Boz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens. Illustrations by George Cruikshank. Chapter Twenty of Scenes, the First of May. Now, ladies, up in the sky parlour, only once a year, if you please. Young lady with brass ladle. Sweep, sweep, sweep. Illegal watchword. The first of May. There is a merry freshness in the sound, calling to our minds a thousand thoughts of all that is pleasant in nature and beautiful in her most delightful form. What man is there over whose mind a bright spring morning does not exercise a magic influence, carrying him back to the days of his childish sports, and conjuring up before him the old green field with its gently waving trees, where the birds sang as he has never heard them since, where the butterfly fluttered far more gaily than he ever sees him now in all his ramblings? where the sky seemed bluer, and the sun shone more brightly, where the air blew more freshly over greener grass and sweeter-smelling flowers, where everything wore a richer and more brilliant hue than it is ever dressed in now. Such are the deep feelings of childhood, and such are the impressions which every lovely object stamps upon its heart. The hardy traveller wanders through the maze of thick and pathless woods, where the sun's rays never shone, and heaven's pure air never played. He stands on the brink of the roaring waterfall, and, giddy and bewildered, watches the foaming mass as it leaps from stone to stone and from crag to crag. He lingers in the fertile plains of a land of perpetual sunshine, and revels in the luxury of their balmy breath. But what are the deep forests, or the thundering waters, or the richest landscapes that bounteous nature ever spread, to charm the eyes and captivate the senses of man, compared with the recollection of the old scenes of his early youth? magic scenes indeed, for the fancies of childhood dressed them in colours brighter than the rainbow, and almost as fleeting. In former times spring brought with it not only such associations as these connected with the past, but sports and games for the present, merry dances round rustic pillars, adorned with emblems of the season, and reared in honour of its coming. Where are they now? Pillars we have, but they are no longer rustic ones. And as to dancers, they are used to rooms and lights, and would not show well in the open air. Think of the immorality, too. What would your Sabbath enthusiasts say? to an aristocratic ring encircling the Duke of York's column in Carlton Terrace, a grand poussette of the middle classes round Alderman Waithman's monument in Fleet Street, 
or a general hands-four round of ten-pound householders at the foot of the obelisk in St. George's Fields. Alas! Romance can make no head against the riot act, and pastoral simplicity is not understood by the police. Well, many years ago we began to be a steady and matter-of-fact sort of people, and dancing in spring being beneath our dignity we gave it up, and in course of time it descended to the sweeps, a fall certainly, because though sweeps are very good fellows in their way, and moreover very useful in a civilised community, they are not exactly the sort of people to give the tone to the little elegances of society. The sweeps, however, got the dancing to themselves, and they kept it up and handed it down. This was a severe blow to the romance of springtime, but it did not entirely destroy it either, for a portion of it descended to the sweeps with the dancing, and rendered them objects of great interest. A mystery hung over the sweeps in those days. Legends were in existence of wealthy gentlemen who had lost children, and who, after many years of sorrow and suffering, had found them in the character of sweeps. Stories were related of a young boy who, having been stolen from his parents in his infancy and devoted to the occupation of chimney-sweeping, was sent, in the course of his professional career, to sweep the chimney of his mother's bedroom, and how, being hot and tired when he came out of the chimney, he got into the bed he had so often slept in as an infant, and was discovered and recognised therein by his mother, who once every year of her life thereafter requested the pleasure of the company of every London sweep at half-past one o'clock to roast beef, plum-pudding, porter, and sixpence. Such stories as these, and there were many such, threw an air of mystery round the sweeps, and produced for them some of those good effects which animals derive from the doctrine of the transmigration of souls. No one, except the masters, thought of ill-treating a sweep, because no one knew who he might be, or what nobleman's or gentleman's son he might turn out. Chimney-sweeping was, by many believers in the marvellous, considered as a sort of probationary term, at an earlier or later period of which divers young noblemen were to come into possession of their rank and titles, and the profession was held by them in great respect accordingly. We remember, in our young days, a little sweep about our own age, with curly hair and white teeth, whom we devoutly and sincerely believed to be the lost son and heir of some illustrious personage, an impression which was resolved into an unchangeable conviction on our infant mind by the subject of our speculations informing us one day, in reply to our question, propounded a few moments before his ascent to the summit of the kitchen chimney, that he believed he'd been born in the Verkis, but he'd never knowed his father. We felt certain from that time forth that he would one day be owned by a lord, 
and we never heard the church bells ring or saw a flag hoisted in the neighbourhood without thinking that the happy event had at last occurred and that his long-lost parent had arrived in a coach and six to take him home to grosvenor square he never came however and at the present moment the young gentleman in question is settled down as a master sweep in the neighbourhood of battle bridge his distinguishing characteristics being a decided antipathy to washing himself and the possession of a pair of legs very inadequate to the support of his unwieldy and corpulent body the romance of spring having gone out before our time we were fain to console ourselves as we best could with the uncertainty that enveloped the birth and parentage of its attendant dancers the sweeps and we did console ourselves with it for many years but even this wretched source of comfort received a shock from which it has never recovered a shock which has been in reality its death-blow we could not disguise from ourselves the fact that whole families of sweeps were regularly born of sweeps in the rural districts of somers town and camden town that the eldest son succeeded to the father's business that the other branches assisted him therein and commenced on their own account that their children again were educated to the profession and that about their identity there could be no mistake whatever we could not be blind we say to this melancholy truth but we could not bring ourselves to admit it nevertheless and we lived on for some years in a state of voluntary ignorance we were roused from our pleasant slumber by certain dark insinuations thrown out by a friend of ours to the effect that children in the lower ranks of life were beginning to choose chimney-sweeping as their particular walk that applications had been made by various boys to the constituted authorities to allow them to pursue the object of their ambition with the full concurrence and sanction of the law that the affair in short was becoming one of mere legal contract we turned a deaf ear to these rumours at first but slowly and surely they stole upon us month after month week after week nay day after day at last did we meet with accounts of similar applications the veil was removed all mystery was at an end and chimney-sweeping had become a favourite and chosen pursuit there is no longer any occasion to steal boys for boys flock in crowds to bind themselves the romance of the trade has fled and the chimney-sweeper of the present day is no more like unto him of thirty years ago than is a fleet street pickpocket to a spanish brigand or paul pry to caleb williams this gradual decay and disuse of the practice of leading noble youths into captivity and compelling them to ascend chimneys was a severe blow if we may so speak to the romance of chimney-sweeping and to the romance of spring at the same time but even this was not all for some few years ago the dancing on may-day began to decline small sweeps were observed to congregate in twos or threes 
unsupported by a green, with no my lord to act as master of the ceremonies, and no my lady to preside over the exchequer. Even in companies where there was a green, it was an absolute nothing, a mere sprout, and the instrumental accompaniments rarely extended beyond the shovels and a set of pan's pipes, better known to the many as a mouth-organ. These were signs of the times, portentous omens of a coming change. And what was the result which they shadowed forth? Why, the master-sweeps, influenced by a restless spirit of innovation, actually interposed their authority in opposition to the dancing, and substituted a dinner, an anniversary dinner at White Conduit House, where clean faces appeared in lieu of black ones smeared with rose-pink, and knee-cords and tops superseded nankeen drawers and rosetted shoes. Gentlemen who were in the habit of riding shy horses, and steady-going people who have no vagrancy in their souls, lauded this alteration to the skies, and the conduct of the master-sweeps was described as beyond the reach of praise. But how stands the real fact? Let any man deny, if he can, that when the cloth had been removed, fresh pots and pipes laid upon the table, and the customary loyal and patriotic toasts proposed, the celebrated Mr. Sluffen of Adam and Eve Court, whose authority not the most malignant of our opponents can call in question, expressed himself in a manner following, that now he'd caught the chairman's high, he vished he might be jolly vell blessed if he weren't a-goin' to have his innings, which he would say these here observations that our some mischievous coves as knowed nothing about the consarn had tried to sit people again the mass of swips and take the shine out of their business and the bread out of the traps of their precious kids by a making of this ere remark as chimbleys could be as vell swept by sheenery as by boys and that the making use of boys for that there purpose was barbarous, whereas he had been a chummy, he begged the chairman's parding for using such a vulgar expression, more nor thirty year, he might say he'd been born in a chimbley, and he knowed uncommon vell as sheenery was thus nor a no use, and as to cahuelty to the boys, Everybody in the chimbley line knowed as vell as he did that they liked the climbing better nor nothing as was. From this day we date the total fall of the last lingering remnant of May-day dancing among the elite of the profession, and from this period we commence a new era in that portion of our spring associations which relates to the first of May. We are aware that the unthinking part of the population will meet us here with the assertion that dancing on May Day still continues, that greens are annually seen to roll along the streets, that youths in the garb of clowns precede them 
giving vent to the ebullitions of their sportive fancies, and that lords and ladies follow in their wake. Granted, we are ready to acknowledge that in outward show these processions have greatly improved. We do not deny the introduction of solos on the drum. We will even go so far as to admit an occasional fantasia on the triangle. But here our admissions end. We positively deny that the sweeps have art or part in these proceedings. We distinctly charge the dustmen with throwing what they ought to clear away into the eyes of the public. We accuse scavengers, brickmakers, and gentlemen who devote their energies to the costermongering line with obtaining money once a year under false pretenses. We cling with peculiar fondness to the custom of days gone by, and have shut out conviction as long as we could, but it has forced itself upon us, and we now proclaim to a deluded public that the May-day dancers are not sweeps. The size of them alone is sufficient to repudiate the idea. It is a notorious fact that the widely spread taste for register-stoves has materially increased the demand for small boys, whereas the men who, under a fictitious character, dance about the streets on the first of May nowadays, would be a tight fit in a kitchen flue, to say nothing of the parlour. This is strong presumptive evidence, but we have positive proof, the evidence of our own senses, and here is our testimony. Upon the morning of the second of the merry month of May, in the year of our Lord 1836, we went out for a stroll, with a kind of forlorn hope of seeing something or other which might induce us to believe that it was really spring, and not Christmas. After wandering as far as Copenhagen House, without meeting anything calculated to dispel our impression that there was a mistake in the almanacs, we turned back down Maiden Lane, with the intention of passing through the extensive colony lying between it and Battle Bridge, which is inhabited by proprietors of donkey-carts, boilers of horse-flesh, makers of tiles, and sifters of cinders, through which colony we should have passed without stoppage or interruption, if a little crowd gathered round a shed had not attracted our attention, and induced us to pause. When we say a shed, we do not mean the conservatory sort of building, which, according to the old song, love tenanted when he was a young man, but a wooden house with windows stuffed with rags and paper, and a small yard at the side with one dust-cart, two baskets, a few shovels, and little heaps of cinders and fragments of china and tiles scattered about it. Before this inviting spot we paused, and the longer we looked, the more we wondered what exciting circumstance it could be that induced the foremost members of the crowd to flatten their noses against the parlour window, in the vain hope of catching a glimpse of what was going on inside. After staring vacantly about us for some minutes, we appealed, touching the cause of this assemblage, to a gentleman in a suit of tarpauling, who was smoking his pipe on our right hand. 
but as the only answer we obtained was a playful inquiry whether our mother had disposed of her mangle, we determined to await the issue in silence. Judge of our virtuous indignation when the street door of the shed opened, and a party emerged therefrom, clad in the costume and emulating the appearance of May-day sweeps. The first person who appeared was my lord, habited in a blue coat and bright buttons, with gilt paper tacked over the seams, yellow knee-breeches, pink cotton stockings, and shoes, a cocked hat, ornamented with sheds of various coloured paper on his head, a bouquet the size of a prize cauliflower in his buttonhole, a long belcher handkerchief in his right hand, and a thin cane in his left. A murmur of applause ran through the crowd, which was chiefly composed of his lordship's personal friends, when this graceful figure made his appearance, which swelled into a burst of applause as his fair partner in the dance bounded forth to join him. Her ladyship was attired in pink crepe over bed furniture, with a low body and short sleeves. The symmetry of her ankles was partially concealed by a very perceptible pair of frilled trousers, and the inconvenience which might have resulted from the circumstance of her white satin shoes being a few sizes too large, was obviated by their being firmly attached to her legs with strong tape sandals. Her head was ornamented with a profusion of artificial flowers, and in her hand she bore a large brass ladle wherein to receive what she figuratively denominated the tin. The other characters were a young gentleman in girl's clothes and a widow's cap, two clowns, who walked upon their hands in the mud, to the immeasurable delight of all the spectators, a man with a drum, another man with a flagellate, a dirty woman in a large shawl, with a box under her arm for the money, and last, though not least, the green, animated by no less a personage than our identical friend in the tarpauling suit. The man hammered away at the drum, the flagellet squeaked, the shovels rattled, the green rolled about, pitching first on one side and then on the other. My lady threw her right foot over her left ankle, and her left foot over her right ankle alternately. My lord ran a few paces forward, and butted at the green, and then a few paces backward upon the toes of the crowd, and then went to the right, and then to the left, and then dodged my lady round the green, and finally drew her arm through his, and called upon the boys to shout, which they did lustily, for this was the dancing. We passed the same group, accidentally, in the evening. We never saw a green so drunk, a lord so quarrelsome, no, not even in the House of Peers after dinner, a pair of clowns so melancholy, a lady so muddy, or a party so miserable. How has May Day decayed? End of chapter 20 of Scenes from Sketches by Boz